0: I know words, I have the best words, nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone's doing well today. It is Friday afternoon, and I thought I'd do something a little different with today's episode. As you can see, I put on some clothes, and I'm recording video. I don't have a guest today. The reason I'm recording video right now is because I want to share my screen and run through some charts with you guys because I've, uh, people have just been getting fucking killed in cryptocurrencies this week. And I thought we could go through the, um, the chart for Bitcoin at least and, and give you my thoughts on it and just sort of walk you through how I would have approached the last couple of weeks in the market and, and teach you some things about structural support and resistance and just the language of the markets. That could help you avoid the carnage that um, hit the markets this week, even if it's due to a news story. Which uh, today and uh, a couple days ago, that these news stories coming out of China have just been crushing the, the cryptocurrency markets. But even if you're um, you're not dependent on that news and you're just analyzing the charts, there were indications weeks ago that these markets were going to, or at least they wanted to, head lower. And so I thought I could share my screen or at least try to. I've never done this before. Um, well, I guess I did it with the, um, uh, what the hell you call it? I did a webinar on this for you guys, just teaching you basic structure, support, resistance, things like that, how to read a chart. And if you guys haven't um, checked that out yet, it is up on some server that Sean was nice enough to um, set up for us. So I have a link to it. If you want to check that out, send me an email at pedaling uh, peddling at com, And I can I can shoot that over to you so you can take the, the, the webinar that I did to sort of catch you up on things. I will give you a very quick uh, version of that here right now when we go through the charts. And then we'll just... Um, We'll uh, resume the the rest of the episode, and I'll just I'll just do a video episode, I guess. You know, I've always wanted to do video, and I had I basically built a studio in my second bedroom back in Chicago. And as you guys know, I am no longer in Chicago, so that studio was all for naught, and I never got around to actually recording video. But it is something that I think. Podcasts seem to be going that way now since we're all locked down and nobody's really commuting to work. So people actually want to see these videos. And um, uh, so if you guys are following, if you're listening to the audio version of this right now, you might want to do one of two things. You could either switch over to the YouTube channel and, and watch it there. Or if you can, pull up a chart of Bitcoin USD. I'm looking at a daily chart right now. And I use TradingView, tradingview.com. It's a free uh, web browser. It's really good for this. So that can help you follow along. And if not, you know, you can try to follow along a bit mentally or just fast forward, I guess. We're gonna try to do this in about 10 minutes or so. So let's get into it. Let me see if I can do this. I'm gonna share my screen. And which screen do I wanna share? Hang on. I don't wanna do that yet. Let me pull up the right screen. There we go. All right, bear with me here. You guys know I am technologically retarded. So um, here we go. We're going to share this screen with you folks. Okay, so this is a chart of Bitcoin. And for those of you not familiar with these charts, and by the way, ignore these big, these are called Wix. This is not right okay i don't know what is causing this you know every once in a while these charts that there's like a weird thing that happens a weird hiccup i don't remember a day where we opened at fifty-two thousand and we got all the way down to seven thousand. so that is just i don't know what that is that's just an error on this chart but for the most part it's pretty accurate this one as well i don't think that's right but the rest of this stuff is actually pretty accurate and what we're looking at here. Each one of these things, they're called candlesticks, okay? And each one of them represents an interval of time, okay? In this case, it's a daily chart. That's what this D up here in the the left-hand corner is, all right? So each one of these candlesticks represents a day of price action in Bitcoin, okay? And the reason they are red and green is because of where the market opens and closes, so for a green candle, like this guy right here, I'll try to zoom in on that. This one right here, we started the day down at the bottom of this green box here. All right. The green candle, the body of the candle. All right. And the price moved as low as this little wick at the bottom there. That's that's telling you how low price got during the day. And at the end of the day, it closed up here. At the top of this uh, candle, the body of the candle here. Okay, and once the the day closes, this candle prints, so it fills in this area where you know the the area where the uh, market uh, opened and closed, and it shows you how low price got. And if it were to go higher, you would have you would have seen a wick up here before it closed right there. Hopefully, that makes sense to everybody. And the red candles are just the opposite, right? So th- this is a good candle right here to go through. Um, we started the day right here at the, top of the, at the top of the red part here. And price went up a little bit to the top of that wick during the day. And then it went all the way down to the bottom of this wick right here during the day before it closed at the end of the day right here. All right, so if the market opens higher, then it closes, it prints a red candle, and if the market closes higher than it opens, it prints a green candle, all right? So that's all, there's a lot of information within these candles and there's different ways that you could trade these candles. You know, there, there's a million ways to trade these markets, you know, like these doge candles here. There's um, all, all sorts of different pattern traders that that just look at, at certain candles like this and they they trade based off of what the candle looks like. Now that's not something I do or something I wanna get into here but just know that there's a lot of information embedded in these candles more than uh, would appear to meet the eye. So let's go back. God, that spike down is really bothering me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's go back to, we'll just run through this chart really quickly and I'll kind of give you a a quick version of what I did in that webinar. Let's start at this 20,000 level. Okay. That's sort of where this market took off. And if you remember a few years ago, I'm going to drop a horizontal I on a horizontal line, not a ray. Um, if you remember back in, it was probably 2017 or so, this 20,000 level was very important. That's when the, yep, see right there. So this is where the initial spike in Bitcoin went fucking ballistic, right? And then it pulled all the way back down. You know, you got this big move back down into 3,000. And eventually we made our way back up 20,000. And this was, let's see, this was about November of last year, so not that long ago, right? November 2020, and just look at this fucking meteoric rise in Bitcoin. All right, and ignore that spike down; that's driving me absolutely insane. But basically, what happens in a market is you get these, you get these moves up. Get my arrow tool here. All right, so we get this this move up from boom. To there. All right. We would call this a leg, a leg up or an anchor leg or something like that. Okay. And you can see that there's almost no uh, resistance here or anything. We put in a little bit of, we would call this structure right in here where the market sort of settles on a price for a while. And it's trying to figure out if it wants to go higher or lower. And in this case, after a couple of days at this level around 23, 24,000, it just shot right up. I mean, look at that. We went up to 40,000. It just doubled in the, the course of uh, what, a month, December to uh, you know, January, mid mid December to mid January, the price doubled. All right. And then we get a pullback. The market reaches a point of exhaustion here and it pulls back down. And if you'll notice, boom, that, that little spike down there on that wick. I'm sorry. Um, it, it, it's right back into this previous structure area that I identified before. So the important thing to take away from these charts is that markets respect structure for whatever reason. Um, they they and, and structure, all these prices are just what previous traders have been making decisions on. And for whatever reason, there was a lot of... Um, decision it's almost like a tug of war battle right here between buyers and sellers at this level so this level was important for some reason doesn't matter why you just need to be able to identify it on the chart because when you get pullbacks you you generally get oftentimes you get a pullback into previous structure all right and from there we're gonna we're gonna go back up right we're gonna test retest this level here we don't quite get there all right, and then we get another pullback down right back into this sort of previous structure level right there. All right, hang on here, let's switch this down. And then it's off to the races, right? Then we we, we bust through, we, we get to that level again, right here, we're testing it. And right when you get to this level, right, we're trying to get above this previous high. And what we wanna see here is we wanna see a print a candle print a close above that level and we just get it. We just barely get it right, right here on this candle. You'll see that it closes just above that previous high at about 40,000 Okay. Now, if we were looking at this in real time, as soon as we saw this candle break above, violate this structure to the upside and close above it, We're automatically thinking that the market wants to go higher. Okay. And then look what happens. The market just fucking takes off like crazy. It just goes all the way up to 55. It actually gets as high as 56,000 before, you know, closing right up right around here, the 54,000. Okay. And from here, the market, it just takes off. It, it goes gangbusters, right? And we start getting this sort of, you know, you get the new structure high, which is what we would call this, you know, this leg up. And then you get a pullback. All right. Pull back down here. And then we make another new structure high. And this is what a, a bull market really looks like, right? We, we break above this previous close. We break above this previous high. And we close above it. So we are very bullish on this market right now and that's so you're making as you're making new structure highs and uh, we would call these higher highs and higher lows right because this is a low here but it's higher than this previous low all right that's the the motion of a of a a bull market and a bear market is just the mirror image of that okay so as we're going through here we're going to draw in our little our arrows, just because I think it helps your eye. We get a pullback, right? Where do we pull back to? Right back into this previous structural level here. For whatever reason, traders found this area interesting at about 50,000, okay? Doesn't matter why. Then we get a, we would call this like a retest of this level here because we can't quite get above it. We go up to it. We pull back down. Oops, Sorry about that back down here and then we make another new structure high okay boom 66000 look at that all right and now everybody's thinking bitcoin's going to the moon 100000 300000 you hear all these crazy predictions right now i'm going to actually uh hopefully you guys followed all that cuz i'm going to remove all of those drawings because i want to draw in some structural zones here that i sort of identify as we go through all right so like right here this is our most recent up to this point this is our most recent leg up this guy here so that's we're going to call that our anchor leg or whatever you want to call it leg anchor leg that's where we're starting our our current analysis okay This was a few weeks ago. So what I'm gonna do, what I like to do here, is sort of draw in these little zones from the 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 lowest low, to the to the um, where the structure is, like so, right in there, from the bottom of that candle to the bottom of the wick. All right. So that's a zone that I'm keeping my eye on. As soon as we're we make this move up, all right. Pretend you can't see the rest of this. All right. And we have another one here. This is another zone that I would have identified because it's another here's another anchor leg up, right? So we got this leg here. And so as soon as this happens, this is the new um, structural support level that I'm looking at. And if if these if these levels get violated, I start to think that the market wants to go lower, okay, and we can do a couple more of these, sorry, I probably should have done these as I was going along. But you know, there's another one here at about 43,000. Something like that, draw that in, okay? And they almost look like steps, you know? And then the real big one here that we almost took out in this big move down is the one at about 30,000, right? All right, so let's slide back up here. Now here's where we're at, right? We got this big move up, we're at 66,000. Everybody thinks it's going to the moon. And then you get a couple down days, right? Markets down today. It's going a little lower, but up until this point here, we're still pretty bear, uh, pretty bullish on this market because we haven't violated this level right here at 54,000, call it 55,000, right? 54,941, okay? Um, This could just be, this area here could just be a pullback into previous structure support, and then the market could take off and make another new structure high just like it did back here. However, you can see that we tested this level. um, We flirted with it here. We tested it on April 18th. We tested it again. You see these spikes down on the wicks there. We went right into that sort of kill zone there on the 19th. Look at this one on the 20th, we went way down. We got all the way down to 49,000 during the day but we actually closed high off the lows and higher than we opened at back at 57,000 almost, okay? So even still right here, we're fine. We have not broken below this previous um, candle here and we haven't closed below it. So we're still we're still um, bullish on this market, but look what happens right here on this red candle here. Okay, let me try to zoom in on that. We, we violated this structure support right here and we closed below it, all right? So right here on this candle, was your indication that the markets wanted to go lower? And this could have been an area where you could unload some of your position, maybe all of it. It depends on how, you know, your trading style and how aggressive you are and your tolerance for risk and everything like that. But as soon as you get this candlestick here, break below this previous structure level right there at 54,000, 55,000, and close below it, that's the market signaling, hey, we might wanna go lower, all right? And in this case, did we ever, look at this next candle, it opens higher on the day, all right? It opens way up here at 57,491, but look at this fucking close, man. It, it went all the way down to 48,980, something like that. And it closed way near those lows at 49,000. And look, it actually took out this previous structure zone that I, I put in here as well. So that's a, that's a big move down, And you could have avoided that if you had um, looked at this indicator here and maybe taken off some of your position throughout this day before you got wrecked um, below 49,000 here. Okay, let's zoom back out a little bit. Gosh, I should get rid of this volume stuff. Hang on, that's just getting in our way. All right, so now um, we're back in this zone here, right? This is our our previous structural support level that we were looking at from this other anchor leg. And we're very bearish on this market now because we violated this structure to the downside, all right? And we actually just violated this one too. Now you get another big spike down, Um. And this was what when was this? Is April twenty third? Huh? Um, you get another big spike down here into this forty three thousand level, right? Right back into that previous structure support. Markets respect structure. So anytime you're looking for where a market might go, look to where it's been. Okay, uh, look left, and it, it you know it's not a crystal ball, it's not automatic, but it is a clue as to where the market might find some support. All right so we did kind of find a little support here yeah we we broke below it here but then we we, you know we we sort of hung around here for a little bit right we spiked down we closed up higher and then you get this another big red candle down here closing way below this previous structure support level down at about forty-seven thousand. and hopefully you guys are following all this and i haven't bored you to death yet but this would be another good opportunity (laughs) to uh, lighten up some of your position or all of it, because this right here is really telling you that the market's about to take a dump. And you do get you do get a nice little move back up here. We, we get a nice little spike up. This is our new anchor leg. That's this thing right here, boom. All right, so anything that happens in this leg here is is not giving us an indication one way or another As to uh, what the market wants to do, except for the fact that we violated this structure to the downside. So as soon as it does that, we are bearish and anything that happens within this leg, we're still bearish until we get an indication otherwise. Okay, And in order for it to do that, I mean, this market could come all the way back up to 66,000 and if it doesn't close above here we're technically still pretty bearish on this or at the you know at the le- at the very least we're neutral we're 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 sort of sitting around waiting for the market to tell us what it wants to do all right and we get this pullback right we get this pullback into previous structure right here right and this is um this level here i can draw a little line in here it's almost like um a ceiling so the, the way structure works, and I probably should have said this about 15 minutes ago, previous structural support becomes resistance, and previous resistance becomes support. So you see how this was sort of like a ceiling that we we're bouncing off of, we're trying to get above it, we can't bounce back down, then we tried again, and we got beaten down, and then we busted above it. Well, as soon as we do that, this ceiling becomes a floor for the market. And as soon as we break below it, well, then it becomes resistance again. And you can see that we broke below it and we went right back up to that level, right back up into that previous structure level. And we got beat down like, I don't know. (laughs) I can't think of an analogy, but anyway, we got beat down real good. And then the market just takes a complete dump on you. All right. And we go right back down to this level. And then again, we violate structure to the downside and we close below this previous low here. We close below this previous candle here. So the market's telling you it's going lower and boy, did it ever. And if right here, I probably would be thinking, okay, I'm looking to my next structural support level here at about 43,000, somewhere in this zone. But man, we we went right past that. And look what happened. This was that the big news event out of China the other day that had the the market go from 45,000 down to 30,000. And in the matter of one day, but look at, look at, it kisses this previous level that we identified. So there's always clues as to where the market is going to end up. And right now, Um, look what happened after we kissed, you know, we kissed this level and we bounced up off of it and we closed off the lows. But look, look at where we are right now. You see this level here that we identified? This is previous structure support right here, right? And it's going to become resistance. All right. And so the market's been bouncing up against that level for the last two days. We're we're right here now um, at 36,000. This is a, a live chart. So um, we, we, uh, we bounced off at once yesterday, we're bouncing off it again today and we closed at the lows. So this market is not looking particularly good right now. And if you had been able to do what I just did on these charts, you might've been able to avoid some of these losses in here because right about here, the market kind of indicated that it was turning over. And obviously, I didn't know at this point that it was going to go all the way down to 30,000. But it was a level that I would have identified had I been looking at this chart as a possibility. You know, you you just keep violating structure to the downside. You have these different levels that you identify. And each time it violates one of those levels, it's an, in, an indication that you should at least change your thinking, maybe lighten up on your position or something like that. It, it kind of depends on how you want to trade it. but that's what the chart was telling you. And it it doesn't matter the news stories that are going to come out or anything like that. Um, This is all just based on what you see in the chart here. And there's actually a lot of other, you know, a a couple of other indications that the market was going to go lower. You know, some of the trading that I've done in the past is what we call pattern trading. And there's actually within this sort of uh, consolidation right here, this sideways chop, there are... um, there's actually some patterns that we could trade that are actually indications that the market was gonna go lower as well. So I guess I could run through some of those real quick. Um, The first one would be, we would call, yeah, see this chart looks a little, it looks a little different on this one than on my other computer that I was looking at. But you have what we would kind of call here a a head and shoulders pattern. Now this is not one that I trade, but it is an indication that, it is a bearish indicator if it looks like this and i can kind of draw it in here let's see this might not be a perfect one but when you see something like this it could not you know sometimes it's a very bad sign right so you got your left shoulder here all right something like that there's the head going to fill that in and here's the right shoulder mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, looks like i got to do a move that down there we go okay so there's your head and shoulder pattern here this is what you call a neckline and if it breaks below this neckline after it it makes this right shoulder that is a very bearish indicator for the market as well and i believe the way you trade this is um well the 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 typical way of trading it or the standard thought is that the distance from the top of the head to the neckline is how far the market would have to go down to complete the pattern. Okay. So let's see if that actually happened here. I'm just going to take this line, move it there. And yes, boom. so you can see um, the market did complete this head and shoulders pattern we got we actually went well below it uh, by about $3,000 there. So that's, that's another indication. If you could have identified this head and shoulders pattern, you'd be like, Ooh, we just put in a a head and shoulders there. That's not a good sign. Plus you're violating structure to the downside. Um, I like to do when when I trade stuff, I like to sort of build a case, I guess you would say, you know, you want to have a lot of evidence in, you know, indicating or backing up your theory, I guess you could say. And there's actually another pattern in here um it's called a butterfly pattern now it it actually this chart for whatever reason you know these candlesticks are a little different than the one i was looking at so this doesn't look perfect because these are a little higher than they were but i think we're still technically Yeah, I think it's technically this would still fit my rules. So um, this is what we would call a butterfly pattern. And I can draw this in for you. This is an, it's an inverted butterfly. Sorry, are you guys bored yet? (laughs) It would look something like this, right? So that kind of looks like a butterfly. And the the whole point of that was to just let you know that when you see these patterns, like we saw the head and shoulder pattern, that's bearish. Here's a butterfly pattern. That's also bear, an inverted butterfly. So that's bearish for the market. And then you violate structure to the downside. The market's telling you that it's going to dump and dump it did. So the, the reason I find this stuff fascinating is because it works a lot of the time. And the reason I think it's important is because, you know, whether you like it or not, you got money in these markets, maybe not the crypto markets. But if you have a 401k or something like that, you have money at risk here. And it helps to be able to look at these charts and at least know whether or not you're at, the, at a minimum bullish or bearish on a market and to be able to identify certain price levels that are important and things of that sort. So hopefully you guys thought this was helpful. And like I said, if you want to go watch the whole, I did this for like probably an hour or so, maybe even a little longer with a group of people last year sometime. Oh, I think it was around Christmas. So uh, probably right around where we started at that 20,000 level. And um, yeah, you can go check, shoot me an email, like I said, and I can I can give you the link to that so you can get the the, the full lesson here. But this was, uh, I don't know how long have I been talking, a little longer than I anticipated, but. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my Bitcoin chart run through for you. And I can bring my screen back. I can stop sharing. Boom. There we go. Oh, time for a haircut, huh? <laughs> oh, man, I'm a mess. Um, anyway, what else should we talk about today? Let's, well, let's take a quick second and thank a sponsor for today's show, and we're going to go with Lorenzotti Coffee, our oldest and dearest sponsor. I love these guys. They're not only fans of the show and fellow liberty-loving entrepreneurs, but they just have a great product. You know, I, I miss the, their coffee. I don't have it down here in Mexico. I have a lot of it back at my place in Chicago that my, uh, my tenant is probably drinking. And, you know, I'm glad somebody's enjoying it because it is delicious premium Italian coffee that they will deliver right to your door and it comes in beautiful packaging. It's, um, it, it, you know, it's that taste of Italy that we're all yearning for. And that's the reason why they started this company. They wanted that cup of coffee that you get over at Italy, and they wanted to be able to do it here and give you that coffeehouse feel that you get over in Europe and bring that to this side of the pond. So they're, they're doing great things over there. They have coffee brewing supplies, professional brewing supplies. If you want to start your own business, they can help you with that. But go to coffee. That's L-O-R-E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in zebra, O-T-T-I.coffee. Use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, and you will get 10% off your order. That is coffee promo code FICTION. All right. Let's see, what, what else should we talk about here? All right, so what else are we gonna talk about today? I have, um, I have this article here that I couldn't believe my eyes when I came across this on Twitter. The, the most ridiculous headline I think I've seen in a long time, and that is saying quite a bit. So I figured we'd go through this on the podcast. I haven't read this entire thing yet, there's a, there's a bunch of things that they link, in, link to that I'm going to click on and we'll go through that as well if we have time. But it says that the evidence is clear. COVID lockdowns saved lives without harming economics, uh, without harming economies, sorry. Uh, okay, that seems to be the most ridiculous statement ever. I don't even know how you could possibly say it hasn't harmed economies, when we're we're seeing inflation, just one aspect of economics, go through the fucking roof in the US here. Um, we ha- we still have like tens of millions of people unemployed. The um, This is just absolutely ridiculous. Businesses have been closing left and right without harming economies? Are you serious? By what metric? Okay, well, let's just go through the article. The pandemic may be ebbing, at least in the US and some other well-vaccinated countries, but the debate over the government and public response to this crisis is destined to live on. That's certainly the case with government-ordered lockdowns, the most onerous and controversial policies imposed to keep people safe from COVID-19. Fortunately, they're among the most widely studied policies and researched about their effectiveness. research about their effectiveness is beginning to flow to economic and scientific journals. Okay, the published data point to two related conclusions. First, lockdowns played a significant role in reducing infection rates. Okay, second, they had very, uh, very modest role in producing economic damage. Conversely, lifting lockdowns has done little to spur economic resurgence. Okay, some of the evidence for both propositions has been expertly compiled by Noah Smith, a former finance professor, now writing economic commentary for Bloomberg. Um, Blah, 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 we'll skip down to that. Uh, Florida's governor, Uh, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis thinks he'll be able to run for president in 2024 based on his having outlawed lockdowns in much of the state without suffering in COVID statistics and protected his economy. Neither claim is true, as we've shown. Okay, there's a link to that. We'll check that out. But that doesn't mean he won't be repeating them. On the other side of the coin, California's relatively stringent and far-reaching lockdowns are the centerpiece of the Republican Party's campaign to recall Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom. Sorry for the screaming baby in the background. Of course, as soon as I turn on the microphones, things get loud here. Never mind that due in part to these residents, to its residents haven't taken Taken stay at home rules and social distancing and masking seriously, California now boasts among the lowest case hospitalization and death rates in the nation, as well as a recovering economy. Now, interestingly enough, they don't link to anything to back up that statement. They have links to um, this guy Noah Smith's presentation that says uh, the lockdowns didn't do anything to hurt the economy and played a significant role in reducing cases. And they link to this thing that says Florida can't um, make those claims that they're making. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. But I guess we're just supposed to take that at face value, that California has the lowest case hospitalization and death rates in the nation or among them. It doesn't matter. The lockdowns appear to be all that the recall backers have against Gavin Newsom other than campaign slogans that consist of a noun, a verb, and French laundry. Debate over the efficacy of lockdowns and limiting the spread of COVID-19 is certain to continue, in part because it's inextricable from partisanship. A team of UCLA researchers and a paper first published in May 2020 and updated later found that likely Trump voters reduced their movements by 9% following a local stay-at-home order compared to 21% reducing reduction among their Clinton voting neighbors who faced similar exposure risks and identical government orders. Hostility to social measures short of a lockdown, such as social distancing and masks, bear the same partisan coloration. It makes sense, therefore, to examine the evidence or rather gather ammunition for the coming debate. Numerous studies across from across the world have found that lockdowns succeeded in suppressing Transmission rates. An Italian team found that lockdowns start to reduce the number of COVID infections about 10 days after they start and keep reducing the case rate for as long as 20 days following initiation. French researchers in a paper published in January compared the experience in countries that sorry i have to keep pausing in and out it's driving me crazy because my neighbors are they have this screaming baby and then they're doing construction and stuff so let's try this again french researchers in a paper published in january compared the experiences in countries that imposed stay-at-home orders early in the pandemic and lifted the restrictions gradually That's New Zealand, France, Spain, Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, and Britain, to that of Sweden, which imposed no lockdowns, and the U.S., which had and still has a patchwork of state policies, often involving late orders, followed by abrupt and premature lifting. The first group saw rapid reductions in infections and a rapid economic recovery compared to the second. Early onset lockdown with gradual deconfinement allowed shortening the SARS, COVID-19, whatever, blah, 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 epidemic and reducing contaminations, the researchers concluded. Lockdown should be considered an effective public health intervention to halt the epidemic progression. Okay, first of all, um, <laughs> why aren't they just comparing US states to, to, to like-minded states? And, you know, I click, I'm clicking on all these links. They have all these links within this article, everything that they're linking to that shows like uh, the, um, the economic recovery, there is no economic effects. They're all with, they're all from like May of 2020 or June of 2020. That's a little premature to say that there's no economic effects. And they're basing it on like spending, spending levels at restaurants and salons and stuff like that. The, um, The UCLA researchers, meanwhile, estimated that reductions in movement resulting from stay-at-home orders reduced transmission in the hardest-hit communities such as Seattle, New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles by 50% or more. All of these findings point to saving millions of lives globally. No, they don't. Uh, None of this is especially surprising. Compliance with stay-at-home orders meant reducing one's exposure to strangers, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that just leaves the economic question. Um, okay, first of all, let, let's just go back to these lockdowns for a second because um, I, the, there there are charts where you can look at, at places that locked down and places that didn't lock down, and it, you're getting virtually the same type of transmission. Now, they're going to chalk that up. This writer is going to chalk that up saying, well, people didn't lock down properly. They didn't lock down hard enough like they did in these other countries. And um, I, I, okay, but it, it seems like an awfully convenient excuse, right? It's like, oh, well, they didn't—they didn't follow the lockdown orders strictly enough. They didn't take him seriously enough. You know, maybe they had too many Republicans in there that were walking around. And well, how do you explain the fact that they—they um, they did that one study that I think that came out of New York that found only like two and a half percent of cases were from were derived from contact at restaurants and bars and things like that or like how do you just explain all of these states that have opened up since then and have not seen surges in cases like if lockdowns actually work why aren't those places surging why why isn't florida surging why isn't texas surging why are they why are they producing like the lowest numbers they've had in in a year the, or at least in the last couple of months in Texas, I think the, the, the lowest um, transmission rates, hospital rates, death rates, everything. Um, and they've been open for wide open with none of these mandates, none of the, the mask mandates, social distancing, none of the lockdown stuff for, for months now, for at least a month, right? Over a month, is that, is that it? Um, and, and how do you explain all these places that never locked down, that did not see all of these surges in cases and everything? This is this is really fucking shoddy reporting. You know, they're, you can tell that they're cherry picking places to to deal with here. They're they're cherry picking evidence, and they're getting into the. Uh, sorry, I, I keep losing my place because this kid next door is driving me fucking crazy. I just went over there and yelled at him. He's standing on the fucking balcony screaming for his mommy. Get a fucking life, kid. Go down to the pool. Have some fucking fun. Unbelievable. So he's shut up for the moment, but I don't know how much time I have here. And I keep losing my fucking train of thought. Where was I? Um, yeah, so all of these findings point to saving millions of lives globally. What? How, how so? How so? Just because transmission is down? Uh, resulting in transmission being down 50% or more. Uh, okay, but what about what about all of the collateral damage from these lockdowns? Right? What about all the people that aren't getting cancer screenings and, and and things like that like that one uh what was that uh report was it a reporter's name or a talk show host she just found out that she's got like some sort of colon cancer because her her colonoscopy got um got pushed back three times during the during the lockdowns during the pandemic and and now it's like everywhere she's gonna die She's only got a limited amount of time left with with her kids and everything like that. There's there's millions of people. And what about all the, you know, we talked about this year, like a year ago on the show, the millions of kids that are starving to death worldwide because of these lockdowns. Like this is, to look at this in a vacuum and just say, oh, well, you know, like uh, we, we reduce transmission in these states because they locked down um, and you don't take into effect any of the collateral damage from that any of the unintended consequences. And then you can't explain how places that don't lock down, how they didn't see transmissions, that they didn't see any spike in transmissions. You can look at these charts and you can't really tell when the lockdown went into effect and when they lifted it. There's no rhyme or reason to any of this. This is all just a bunch of nonsense. Uh, and, And to just state it as fact in this like pompous way is just really aggravating. Anyway, that leaves the economic question. So now they're getting into the economics of this. Critics of the lockdown typically advocate balancing the public health gains from stay-at-home orders against the economic losses from keeping bars, restaurants, hair salons, and other businesses closed, other small businesses closed. They argue, as has DeSantis and other red state governors such as Greg Abbott of Texas, that concerns about the latter should take primacy over the benefits of the former. The problem with this argument is that there's very little evidence that lockdowns themselves damage local economies more than individual behavior that would have happened anyway, lockdowns are not. Uh, okay. Uh, nor is there any evidence, nor is there much evidence that lifting lockdowns produce a faster recovery. Those who have studied the course of the pandemic in US and Europe understand why the lockdowns have less economic impact than one might expect the reason is that people made their own choices to stay at home or patronize only businesses where they felt relatively safe uh austin goolsby he's a fucking hack economist that used to work for the obama administration and he's from the university of chicago and chad siverson i don't know him said that their economic uh their study of the economic slump during the pandemic the vast majority of the the decline was due to consumers choosing of their own volition to avoid commercial activity. Now, I clicked on this link. It's from June of 2020. Okay. So um, what, three months, not even three months of um, pandemic lockdown behavior, and you're already making economic um, determinations based off of that. Seems a little premature. That's the evidence from the chronology of the business slump. Most Uh, Most counties and states didn't impose stay-at-home orders until late March or early April. Even Newsom, who is depicted as having shut down the California economy, particularly aggressively, didn't act until March 19th. Okay. Yet in California and throughout the country, residents started withdrawing from face-to-face commerce well before then. With the sharpest reductions in the first half of March, government-ordered shutdowns did less to force people to stay at home than to give them legal grounds to do so. Foot traffic fell by 60% during the pandemic. Goolsby and Siverson concluded from their study of smartphone mobility statistics, but government orders accounted for only seven percentage points of that. In short, it wasn't government policy that kept people home. It was fear. <laughs> okay, well, even if we're gonna take that at face value, who was stoking the flames of fear? who was making everybody afraid of this relatively benign virus for the vast majority of people that get it. Uh, you're under 60, 65, you don't have underlying conditions, you don't have a compromised immune system. Why Why were so many people afraid of this? Um, and, and like I said, they're only looking at the first couple of months of this and they're looking at spending. They're looking at one aspect of the economy. And I think he might talk about this later in the article because they're only looking at, at spending at restaurants and bars and salons and stuff like that. Um, they're, they're not taking into account any other economic factors because guys like Ooglesby or what's his name? Austin Goolsby, fucking hack. These guys, they're Keynesians. They have the economic cart before the horse. They think spending drives the economy. Um, anyway, back to the article here that applies to reopenings touted by DeSantis and Abbott, through which they take credit for post pandemic economic miracles. The hard facts don't support their argument. Take Texas, which earlier this year became the first state to end its mask mandate and allow businesses to open without capacity restrictions. Economist the Duvall Dave of Bentley University. It's a weird it's kind of a backwards name it should be Dave Duval. Searched, searched deeply for evidence that, that ending its lockdown produced an economic gain for Texas. The result? We find no evidence that the Texas reopening led to substantial changes in social mobility, including foot traffic and a wide set of businesses establishments. Uh, Dave and his colleagues, we find no evidence that Texas reopening order impacted short-run employment. The findings they wrote underscore the limits of late pandemic era COVID-19 reopening policies to alter private behavior. They also found, this is a funny, a little interesting admission here that seems to contradict the entire fucking first half of this article. They also found no evidence that reopening led to a surge in new COVID cases, as some experts warned. Experts warned, you just spent the first half of this article talking about how we needed lockdowns to prevent surges in cases. Well, apparently, they found no evidence that reopening led to a surge in cases in Texas. And like I said, they're reporting better numbers than they have in months after reopening. So um, that, seemed, that, that one little sense there, that one little blurb right there seems to refute your entire first half of this lockdowns are a necessary thing to, to stop the spread. Well, why, why wasn't there a surge in the, in the COVID cases then? What, they, they stopped locking down. They open back up, no no masks, no capacity restrictions, no nothing, and uh, no surgeon cases. Go figure. Um, And and back to this thing, we found no evidence that um, there was an impact on on short run employment or economic activity. Look, you can't just look at this at at the state level in a vacuum. What have we been talking about on this show for the, the last couple of weeks? All of the economic effects from the monetary policy and the, um, these COVID relief bills where we're paying people not to work. Obviously, there's not going to be a, um, a big economic gain if nobody's going back to work when you open up because they're getting more unemployed than they were when they were employed. So, yeah, you're not going to see a surge in employment until you turn off these spigots from the government that are paying people to sit at home this is not like um, you know this doesn't happen in a vacuum um let's oh he addresses this sort of so the governors are taking these steps in recognition of the idea that unemployment enhancement is the cause of purported labor shortage there's no evidence that this is the case okay but bar restaurant, and food uh, operators claim it so well that wouldn't that be some evidence if the fucking restaurant is posting open positions and they can't get anybody to fill it and they're telling you that they're the reason they can't get anybody to fill it is because these people are making more money as staying at home than they would be operating the fast food uh, deep fryers. You don't need evidence for this. It's common fucking sense. But you're also hearing it from the horse's mouth. They're telling you that McDonald's has to pay people $50 to come and interview. Now, why? Why would they have to do that? Because people are getting paid a ton of money to stay at home. Okay, now we're just getting into conjecture. In reality, lockdowns saved lives in the pandemic without having significant negative economic, uh, negative effects on economies in the lockdown zones. That meant that keeping economies wide open in the expectation that the virus would run its course was pennywise and incredibly foolish. The be- uh, okay. Um, Listen, I I think I, I get the gist of what of what they're going for here. Saying that there's no economic impact because um, for the first few months of the the pandemic, they um, they saw similar reductions in economic activity as if you know um, that that people would have taken upon themselves because they were terrified of COVID. While that, even if I were to stipulate that that's true, so. You know, even if I stipulate that that's the case, I mean, the obvious question you have to ask yourself is if people were going to voluntarily lock themselves down, why the need for the government mandated order? Hmm? I mean, if they're going to do it on their own because everyone was so scared of the virus, why did they have to force it on everyone? Because the whole argument here for for no economic impact, right, is because people are going to change their behavior, regardless of any lockdown orders, so that any negative economic impacts can't be attributed to the lockdowns, because people are going to do it to themselves, people are going to do it to themselves anyway. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, obviously, those fears, they don't last forever, and that's probably why all of these studies that they're referencing are from June of last year. People were initially afraid, right? We were initially afraid of this virus because we didn't know much about it. It was a novel virus. But, but those fears don't last forever. They diminish over time. So even if initially people may have abstained from economic activity, eventually more and more people would have felt comfortable resuming their lives and opening their businesses as we got more and more information about the virus so the idea that like the next 8 months after the initial you know couple uh, months of lockdowns that the, the idea that the next 8 months can't be res- held responsible for economic impacts because people were going to voluntarily lock themselves down anyway that's complete bullshit man i mean no they wouldn't no, they wouldn't. That's that's why they had to, like, raid people's businesses. And that's why that guy got, like, arrested for opening his gym. And uh, people got arrested for playing catch with their kids in the park and all that shit. And one thing is for damn sure, these businesses would not have shut their doors voluntarily. They, they're not just going to go out of business because they're afraid of a germ. That's their entire life. OK, that's what puts food on their table. So it's, if it's between that and getting sick for a week, what do you think they're honestly going to do? I, I mean, come on, let's let's get real here. And then on top of that, this argument for why the lockdowns didn't work in the U.S. is because people didn't follow the lockdown restrictions Right, you know, we had all these Republicans and all these Trumpers. They didn't take it seriously. They weren't worried about the virus. They didn't believe how bad it was, and so they didn't follow the lockdown restrictions. And that's why some of the the U.S. lockdown statistics don't show that they worked uh, to control the spread of the virus. Right. That's why in certain states, you know, those Republican states, it doesn't look like the lockdown saved as many lives as they could have if people uh, followed the lockdowns. So, which is it? Right. I mean, did people voluntarily lock down because they were so afraid of this virus and therefore the lockdowns aren't responsible for any of the economic disaster that ensued or are people violating the lockdowns constantly? And that's why the the numbers in the U.S. don't fit your narrative. That's why some of the numbers don't show that the lockdowns did anything but ruin people's lives. I mean, which is it? You, you have to choose one. You can't have it both ways. I mean, th- this is just absolutely ridiculous. The economic effects of these lockdowns are a, a lot more profound than just spending at bars and restaurants. There are entire uh, companies that are never coming back into existence. There are millions of people still unemployed. How can you say that there's no effect when you shut down the economy, you force businesses to close and they lay off employees and you say there's no effect? Uh, oh, no. Uh, okay. Because you're measuring spending levels, but where did the spending levels come from? The government printed money out of thin air and gave it to people to spend. Um, you, you can't just measure spending levels and call that, oh, there's no economic activity because everybody's still spending. What? that's absolutely ridiculous. and this is why it's fucking important that people learn economics. You have to understand that spending there, there's more to an economy than spending. and it takes savings and production to grow the economy. if you if you're not growing the economy, if nobody's saving and nobody's producing and all we're doing is spending, what about the inflation that that's that we're seeing right now? How do you explain that? Uh, yeah, it may, it may not have reared its ugly head in the first three months of the pandemic by June of 2020, but you got to look at it now and you got to look at it well into the future. The, these um, The economic effects of this are going to be absolutely devastating, absolutely devastating. And all of these, these uh, blue states that they keep touting, California, Illinois, New York, they're fucking bankrupt. They're getting billions of dollars of bailouts from the federal government. Um, this is absolutely ridiculous. How anybody could write this article with a straight face is insane to me. Um, I mean, I I don't even know what else to say. They they keep saying they save lives. They've saved lives. And, but you look at at places like Texas, which they even admit in this article, saw, saw no increase in cases, um, no surge in cases, their hospitalizations are down, their deaths are down, um, if lockdowns were so good, why, why is there not like drastic evidence to the contrary? Like places like Florida that opened up should have seen devastating effects. Um, and Just to callously say that there's no econo- no adverse economic impact uh, on, on a local level is it, talk to the people, man. Talk to people that lost their jobs. Talk to the people that are still sitting at home. Yeah, they may be spending some money that the government gave them, but they have nothing going for them now. They lost their job, they lost their livelihood. And as soon as those, um, those government dollars dry up, then where are we gonna be? Absolutely ridiculous to say that there's no economic, uh, no negative uh, economic impact <laughs> on the state level. Um, All of these states are fucking bankrupt. Walk through Chicago, everything's fucking boarded up. Um, There's millions of, I mean, we have the jobless claims for fuck's sake. We have like 10 million people out of work right now. Or is it 20 million? I I forget how many it is. There's no negative negative economic impact um, because we're measuring spending. Measure anything else. How about that? Measure inflation. Measure unemployment. Um, and then they're saying, "Oh well, we open back up, and, and nobody's going back to work." As, yeah, because of your, because of the monetary policy, because of the 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 well, uh, the uh, welfare state, the um, the unemployment benefits that we're giving people. Obviously, they're not going to go back to to work when they're making just as much staying at home. And I don't know how you can say there's no evidence to that fact. There's there's plenty of evidence, but it also just makes uh, sense it's intuitive, so um, very interesting take on this. What a horrible take from the LA Times. This guy is a fucking hack. And um, Michael Hilt- Hilt- Hiltzik, Los Angeles Times columnist, he writes a daily blog. Uh, his seventh book. This guy's got seven books: Iron Empire, oh, Robert Barons, Railroads, and the Making of Modern America. You should go listen to my episode on the Robert Barons. Maybe he'll learn a thing or two. Um, I'm sure I can already tell you what his take on that would be. Anyway, um, speaking of no economic impact on, from these lockdowns, the, uh, we're experiencing shortages <laughs> in the supply chains now. We've got, uh, let's see, most notably the, the, um, the semiconductor chips to make new cars. do that. There we go. And I guess we'll, we'll get it out of here on this, these shortages that we're seeing. I don't know how long I've been going, hopefully not too long. But there's, if you've been paying any attention to the, uh, the automobile market, they've been really struggling, like they cannot make new cars now, because there's a shortage of these uh, chips that they use. To, to build these cars, the, the, the semi semiconductors or whatever the hell they're uh, referred to the, the semiconductor lead time it takes for a company to order a chip and taking delivery increased to 17 weeks in April, indicating shortages of these critical components are intensifying, according to Bloomberg companies that use semiconductors in their end products use lead times to gauge the balance between supply and demand rising levels suggest that customers are racing to secure chips if leads exponentially jump as what has been happening since december some customers will purposely order more chips to avoid future supply shortfalls inventory accumulation can also exacerbate chip shortages so um, We're starting to see a lot of shortages uh, manifest themselves throughout the supply chain. And it's it's literally a direct result of our monetary policy. Because remember what the Federal Reserve and our government has been doing for the last year, right? We've been paying people not to work. We've been giving people money, and we haven't been producing anything. And this has been happening probably all over the world. I don't know where these semiconductor chips come from, but the um, these chip shortages could result in global automakers losing upwards of 110 billion dollars in sales this year. Uh, Ford Motor Companies and other vehicle makers are idling plants as critical tiny chips cause supply chain bottlenecks. Like one little thing in this supply chain goes missing, and you can't build the car, and and then so you can't uh, you know sell new cars. That's going to put a lot of upward pressure on the price of used cars. So if, if you have a car that you're trying to sell, you could probably get a pretty good penny for it these days because there's a, sh- a shortage of new cars. People can't, they, uh, companies can't make these new cars because they can't get the chips. So um, people are forced to buy used cars. You should probably be buying used cars anyways. I never understood why anybody would buy a brand new car considering you lose like, was it like 15 or 20% of the value the second you drive it off the lot? Why would anybody buy a new a brand new car, buy a used car and buy something you can afford, you know? Um, borrowing money to consume things, to buy things is really a, a bad idea. You end up paying more for it in, in the long run. And um, I don't know. The, the Our monetary policy, what, what we've been doing over the last year or so, is, is really going to have ripple effects throughout the economy. Inflation that we've been talking about is one of them. Shortages are, are going to be the next thing. And, and then pretty soon, you know, once inflation goes through the fucking roof. Hopefully we'll be smart enough, but I don't think we will be. We could start seeing wage and price controls, and that's going to lead to further shortages. So the um, you know if they try to cap the price of things, there there's going to be a lot less of that produced than it already is. And the third largest um, U.S. chicken producer apparently ran out of chicken wings on Wednesday. This is a, an article from Zero Hedge. <clears throat> Oh, and it actually references the microchips I was just talking about from Bloomberg. At this point, shortages of everything from microchips to potato chips are forcing American businesses to adjust to higher prices and supply shocks. While consumers are forced to pay higher prices at the store, and while high commodity prices, which have come off their highs in recent days as lumber, oil, and iron prices declined, have retreated in recent days, we noted that these shortages are expected to last a long time. I mean, why wouldn't they? Nobody's going back to work. We have a shortage of workers and we have a government with a propensity to give people money, more money to sit around eating bonbons and watching Netflix than they would actually working for a living. One reason is that high prices are good for producers and it's too expensive for many companies to build out new production capacity right now. Uh, this is back to the article, by the way. This dynamic is contributing to a looming chicken wing shortage in the U.S., which might remind someone of the bacon shortage hysteria that has occasionally gripped the U.S. in the past. And I do remember that. Uh, I do remember those bacon shortages. Case in point, Sanderson Farms, the third largest poultry producer in the U.S., whose engineering firm likely recommended them to spend uh, suspend plans for plant expansion because prices of everything from lumber to steel, to concrete, to plastic, to copper, to machinery, to labor, have skyrocketed, making building unaffordable. Has decided that it will pass on expanding its operations despite surging demand for its products that has put it in the, on the cusp of running out of chicken wings. I need a plant to open up next week, but it's not a good time to be building, said Chief Executive Joe Sanders. Bloomberg quoted, as we have noted, demand for chicken wings in the U.S. is through the roof. Without expansion, the nation's third largest poultry plant can't take any new orders. We're totally sold out, and we've had people call us to service them, and we cannot take on any more business, and that is not a good place to be. Sanderson said. Sanderson said construction of the new chicken plant was expected to begin in the first half of the year. He said, we've been, look very hard at surging. Okay, we've been looking very hard. I don't know that it's written weird. I can kind of read, I promise. At surging building costs and is mulling over plans to shelve the expansion until raw material costs come down. And this goes back to the, you know, the lumber shit that we talked about last. Uh, was it last week or maybe the week before? These are going to have ripple effects throughout the economy, and it's hard to know exactly what's going to be affected. Just know that it's all going to be bad. It's all going to increase prices, and it's all going to lead to shortages or, you know, these bottlenecks in the supply chain that are going to lead to shortages. And it's going to mean a lower standard of living for everybody. This is uh, par for the course and it's 100% on the shoulders of government as usual. Uh, uh, maybe you've noticed that theme throughout this show, but anyway, back to the article here. Meanwhile, everyone at the white house to the fed from the white house to the fed has downplayed blistering inflation and in commodities as transitory. We went over that. However, it is only now where hyperinflation prices are beginning to affect the recovery by pausing commercial construction builds. We urge readers to read the transcript from Warren Buffett's address to shareholders earlier this month who warned, we see very substantial inflation. That is a direct quote. Clearly, the world Buffett lives in is much different than the clueless career economists of the Federal Reserve and White House propagandists who act as if everything is just fine. Well, and that's you know that's the thing about the fucking yeah. You know, I, I talked about the you know the, the press secretary and why we have these press conferences. The Federal Reserve is, is the same thing. It's all just theater. It's all bullshit, man. Like the Federal Reserve, even they're either it's it's one of two things, right? It's the, the old stupid or liar. Um, are they this stupid that they actually can't see this inflation and they can't see these bubbles everywhere that they're blowing up, or are they just lying about it? Um, I'm, I'm reminded of you know the days back in with the uh, the old Bernanke, right? Bernanke and the 2008 financial crisis, where he said subprime was contained. Um, they they tell you all of these lies, thinking that if they were to be honest with you, like if they were to actually give you a a truthful analysis of the economy, that if they if they're bearish on the economy, it would become like this self fulfilling prophecy where it's like, oh, we we see uh, a decline, Uh, we see a a bear market, we see a recession coming. They think that if they tell you that, then it's going to actually manifest itself. So they always tell you that things are good. (laughs) There's no bubbles here. There's no inflation. It's just transitory. Don't worry about that. We'll be fine. And they will say that shit right up until the entire fucking bottom falls out of the market. Inflation goes through the roof. Right up until the point you know the Titanic breaks in half and sinks to the bottom of the ocean, they will be telling you that uh, the water is contained. It's just a small hole in the boat, and everything's fine. Um, they have to say that. That's their role is to lie to you and to try to uh, manifest something, uh, to try to keep you in the uh, drinking this Kool Aid in the party as long as possible, and re- regardless of what they actually know or what they actually think is gonna happen, they're, they're going to give you a rosy picture. That That's just what they do. So I don't know why anybody listens to these people. They're they're completely full of shit. They cannot, I don't care what they say, they they cannot control this inflation without destroying this economy. There's, there's a reason why we haven't been able to raise interest rates from basically zero. We tried, we got up to what, like 2% or something? Did we even get that high? And then they had to, to cut them again. Um, they've they've panned themselves into a corner. So it's either destroy all these bubbles that they blew up, they worked so hard to blow up, or um, let inflation just run fucking rampant. And um, I will let you be the judge of what you think their approach is going to be and what you think the approach of the government is. But if you think they're going to do the right thing, the hard thing, the honest thing, and um, raise interest rates, prick all these bubbles, level with the American people, tell them that they completely fucked all this up. And we have to really uh, you know, take uh, some economic pain, some medicine to actually heal this economy. Uh, you got another thing coming in my opinion. They've, they've never once done that in history. And these are spineless politicians who are a bunch of pussies. So um, if I were a betting man, I would bet that they are going to go the opposite way. And take the cowardly route of just printing a bunch of money and doling it out. Because what else can they do? Um, Anyway, I feel like I've been talking forever. So let's wrap there. And you guys can enjoy your weekend. And I can get mine started. Thank you so very much for listening. I love you guys. Hopefully you weren't too bored with my chart analysis on Bitcoin. And um, do me a favor, if you liked what you heard here today, follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Oh, shit, we're doing the um, we're doing the happy hour tonight, too. I almost forgot. I'm doing that in a couple hours. So um, if you want to get in on the happy hour thing, go to pedalingfictionpodcast.com, click on the support the show tab and set up a recurring monthly donation. So once you do that, I will send you the link to the happy hour group and you can shoot the breeze with me tonight. We're starting at 730 now. I'm pushing it back another 15 minutes, 730. Sunset's at 830. So we're going to do some boozing until then. And then we're going to enjoy the sunset. It's a lot of fun. We got a nice little group of people there. And as you may or may not know, last Friday was sort of a debacle with i was using facebook messenger and they moved something on me and i couldn't figure it out and then once i got it figured out they couldn't start a a room for me so i'm trying something else i think it's called Jitsi. i don't know sean sent it to me he's uh he's up on all this uh technology stuff so we're trying a different platform here and it should work we tested it out yesterday and it was kind of cool so We're going to be doing that in a couple hours. So if this episode gets out and you hear this, do that, Uh, support the show, support our sponsors and come drink with me. We're going to do it this Friday as a sort of a bonus to make up for last Friday. And then we'll do it again next Friday, which is our regularly scheduled happy hour. And after that, it'll be every other week we'll be back on our bi-weekly schedule. So do that. Um, check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to that and find a, find your favorite clip of mine and send it to somebody that you think would like to hear it. I really want to get our listenership uh, through the roof this year. It, it's about time. I've been doing this for a couple of years and we're, we're starting to stagnate a little bit and I want to see a nice little bump. So help me out, share the show support the show. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction.